Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're thankful that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. And we are going to ask this question with one another. Uh, what power do you have? Um, I love, remember when I was a kid and I would hear about church that, you know, churches should have nothing to do with politics, which is very interesting because churches were, churches, churches were always incredibly political, but they just didn't want to pretend like they were political. But what I see about the life of Jesus is that Jesus is political, the scriptures are political. And so check out this definition of what politics actually is. Politics is the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. Now, we may not ever see politics expressly talked about in Scripture because there was no democracy 2,000 years ago and people were not voting, but power is one of the most important subjects that comes up in Scripture all of the time. So if we're going to talk about power, we got to talk about some things. If we're going to talk power, we're going to talk about toys. And if we can talk about toys, then we got to talk about how 2020 doesn't work. And if we can talk about 2020, then we can talk about the middle class. And if we can talk about the middle class, then of course, that's going to lead us to Mark 1. And if we can talk about Mark 1, then we're going to have to hit the Exodus and then eventually get to the Edict of Milan, everybody's favorite edict from the first millennia. Can I get an amen? And then if we can talk about the Edict of Milan, then of course, opioids. You see where I'm going with that one. And then if opioids, then really it's not about heaven. And if it's not about heaven, then we got to bring up the nuclear option. If we can talk about the nuclear option, then we can have a little bit of self-awareness. And with some self-awareness, then maybe we can handle some critique. Alrighty, my friends, let's do this thing. Uh, I got three kids. The oldest of my kids, Caden and Bryce, are seven and five. And Caden, for a long time, was the absolute Enneagram one, Mr. Perfection, all in his head and was always very good with his words, is still good with his words, and he uses this incredible superpower that he has to really offer a dictatorship over his younger siblings. And because he has this superpower for a long time, he would control the political environment within our household and would provide the opportunities or the very specific way that his brother or sister might play with toys that there was a time in our house that Caden had many different nooks and crannies where he would store his toys and only his toys could go there and his siblings were never allowed to touch those particular special and safe areas. But the power dynamics have shifted, my friends. Now, Bryce is five years old. Bryce has slowly learned over the years, wait a minute, I didn't agree to this. I actually have an opinion. Why do you, Caden, only get to play with certain toys, but I have to share all of my toys? And so just recently, Bryce got a new Indominus Rex Jurassic World toy. I know, I know, right? Closer to Jesus. And so this Indominus Rex is Bryce's prized possession. But Caden being the benevolent older brother that he is, says to Bryce, well, I should be able to play with your Indominus Rex whenever I want. And Bryce is like, 
I do not think so. Do you remember the days of old when I couldn't play with any of your toys? And Caden says, well, Bryce, I didn't mean it like that, right? Caden had power for a long time in the sibling dynamic relationship because he was older. And Bryce, being the good middle child, which I swear to Jesus, he's an Enneagram 9. He is the peacemaker. He feels with his heart. He's got love to offer everybody. And he is also learning his voice right now that he is allowed to have personal choice, that he's allowed to have his own private space. And so the world in which Caden and Bryce lived in worked for Caden, but didn't work for Bryce. This is normal human relationship. We come to a season of life where somebody gave us a certain set of rules or there's a certain majority that's in power politically or you have a certain boss, whatever the situation may be, and then eventually you find your voice and you say, well, these sets of rules don't actually work for me and I would like a different set of rules. I would like to engage in my life in a different way. That the power that you have uh, is not affecting me in the same way that I want to be able to utilize my power. This is common human interaction. What we see in the political world, what happens all of the time, is that you have D's and R's who are constantly trying to get America to see their point of view. Uh, there's often ideologies that go around how Democrats and Republicans try to particularly sway the middle class. That for the middle class, what we're told on, on different sides is by Republicans, often what you're told is that the woes of this world have to do with lower socioeconomic groups. That lower socioeconomic groups are taking the resources by being offered entitlements um, to, and they're taking those resources away from the middle class. The narrative that you hear from Democrats is that there's a 1%, and the 1% is taking away the resources from the middle class. That there is a political battle that is taking place to try to gain power over the middle class. And it's really a game of who should we blame? And it's all about a narrative of scarcity. You don't have enough middle class, which you're the biggest population group in the United States of America, so you should be mad at these people over here, or you should be mad at these people over here. And we don't particularly love nuance in this world. If you're looking for nuance, never watch CNN and never watch Fox News. You will not be provided with a ton of nuance. You will be provided with a specific narrative that fits a very specific political ideology, which we now call conservative or progressive. The problem is, is that conservative or progressive is not just a political ideology. That conservative or progressive is a way that you can think about life. And so a conservative is simply somebody who wants to conserve things. Within yourself, parts of you are conservative. There are things within your life that you want to conserve because they work for you. You are the person who has a very particular corner in which all of your toys are not touched, and you want to conserve that because it works for your life. Now within you as well, in the nuance and complexity of who you are, there is a progressive. A progressive is somebody who wants to progress from something. You have come to a point in your life and you say, that little box over there where only a certain amount of people can play with toys does not work for me, and I would like to have some toys of my own. And so I am going to progress from that conservative box. 
And within us, there are times that we conserve things, and there are times that we progress from things. This is just normal human interaction and growth, and both are okay. And at times, there are things that we should certainly conserve, and there are things that we should blow up the box, and we should progress forward in a new way. So I recognize something. I recognize the reality that this is new Abby, and I recognize that I am preaching to the choir when I speak to progressives. The vast majority of our community is liberal and progressive ideologically. Not all of our community. There are plenty of people who are conservative in a bunch of different realms, and I want to separate that a little bit from that meaning Republican or Democrat, because both political parties do not own Jesus. Both political parties are not the only answer or the way. Most of us grew up in a Republican world that was conservative Christian or evangelical, and we were told that the Republicans owned the evangelical majority really based on one issue, pro-life, or that we want to protect unborn babies. Now, most people within New Abbey's community have moved away from that conservative box. Those are not the ideologies that you're trying to conserve anymore, and you have progressed into uh, a different understanding of the world or with God or yourself, and you believe that the walls that are being built over there don't work for everybody, and so you have progressed into a larger ideology. But here's the deal. Neither group has all of your best interests in mind. But we don't think that way when it comes to an election. And this is gonna make some people uncomfortable, but why not? It would be an easy sermon for me to give in a church like New Abbey to simply rail upon conservatives and Republicans right now, and I have, feel free to go watch other sermons online if you're looking for that opportunity. And there might be some special things coming up soon. But what I'm more interested in is our development as human beings, that I believe that Jesus always offers us a third option, that Jesus always offers us a different way to be human, that because neither ideology, political ideology, fully represents the kingdom of God or the way of Jesus, that we should be people who wherever we find ourselves, with whatever power we have, open to the way of Jesus. What I'm wondering is, let's say that progressives sweep this election, that for those that are politically liberally aligned uh, and ideologically progressively aligned, what if you get everything your way? Now what will you do with your power? Because you've spent a period of time mad how people are conserving their power over here and feeling how they have been conserving their power is destructive. Will you then pay that favor forward and use your power potentially in an abusive way? And we need to break that nuance down a little bit more. That in scripture, we see all of the time that Jesus is actually confronting the powers that be within Jesus's culture. Uh, the earliest gospel is the gospel of Mark. It was written before all of the other gospels. It's also the shortest gospel, and it's also the most political gospel. In Jesus's day, he is born, lives, and dies at the hand of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, much like the United States of America, promoted an idea. It promoted an idea that you can be prosperous and that your life will be taken care of, and we don't really want to know what happens at the edges of the empire. 
At the edges of the empire are the places that we pillaged, took advantage of, hurt other people groups, just like in the United States of America. An idea is sold to the middle class that you can live and have your white picket fence, and we don't really want to know what happens in all of the other places around the world or even within our own country that are providing truly that opportunity for you to live comfortably with the power that you might have. In Jesus's day, different setup, but there was huge power dynamics going on just like within our day. And so the opening words in Mark 1.1 go like this. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Those are not theological words. When Mark 1.1 was written, those were political words to revolt against the power dynamics of the Roman Empire. This is the good news. The good news was not a phrase that came from the Bible. Good news is not a phrase that comes from Jesus. Good news is a phrase that came from Caesar Augustus, some 70 years before the life of Jesus the Christ. That Caesar Augustus united the Roman Empire from a trifecta of other leaders that were going on, and Rome saw a period of peace. For all of you good history scholars out there, you may remember the idea of Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. That the peace of Rome is what everybody lived under. But the peace of Rome was really not peaceful. The peace of Rome really was based on the fact that you have lots of slaves, that you treat a lot of people with oppression, and that you use a ton of violence to preserve the power that you have. And so wherever Caesar Augustus would go, there would be praetoriums and armies who would play big drums. Imagine Gladiator in your head right now. And whenever Caesar Augustus would go somewhere, they would proclaim the euangelion, which is the Greek word for good news. That the euangelion, the good news of Caesar Augustus was Pax Romana. That your life is now better thanks to Caesar. More than that, Caesar Augustus was the son of God. Before Jesus the Christ was ever declared the son of God, Caesar Augustus was the son of God. Caesar Augustus was the nephew to Julius Caesar. By the way, we're going some deep, nerdy history here. I hope you're, you know, really coming along with me. This is some good stuff. Julius Caesar didn't have any children, and so his nephew, uh, which ends up becoming Caesar Augustus, takes over the throne. But Julius was considered his father. And so, and Julius Caesar was one of these guys, you know, with some real insecurity issues, which we don't know any leaders like that, I know, who really considered himself divine. And now, Julius Caesar was a god of the Roman Empire. And because Caesar was a god of the Roman Empire, now Caesar Augustus was the son of God. So this phrase here in Mark 1.1, this is the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the son of God, is phrasing in which every Roman citizen and Jews would hear this and would know what's going on. It would be like Jesus coming to today and saying, this is really the declaration of America that's like the independence, right? That's like our constitution of Jesus being the president of the United States. They would be words you'd say, that's really odd that Jesus is saying that. Here's why I'm saying it. These are some of the most political words that have ever been written. 
Jesus was killed and crucified at the hands of the Roman Empire because they knew that he was proclaiming to be something that only Caesar Augustus could be. There was a power dynamic. And the reason that Jesus was proclaiming to be a son of God, to have a different good news, is that Jesus' good news was meant to work for everybody. The good news of the kingdom of Jesus is that whoever you are, that you are invited into this kingdom, not just the elite, that it's not about the blame game. It's not about some have and some don't have. It's not a story of capitalism, that when you take a little piece of the pie away, that that means if you have that somebody else has less. Then in the kingdom of God, when you take a million away from infinity, you still have infinity. This is a God who is endlessly benevolent, endlessly generous. This is a God who constantly goes and searches for people within this kingdom or this empire and lets them know that they are human as well. This is the kingdom of Jesus. This kingdom goes and seeks you out regardless of your Democrat, regardless of your Republican, and regardless of the way in which the election goes, if it goes in your favor or doesn't go in your favor. Because Jesus knew this, that you might be powerful now, but what happens the day that you're not? Or you might not be powerful now, and what happens the day that you do become powerful? That whichever way you find yourself in life, how are you still treating people? What are you doing with the power that you do have is what the kingdom is interested in. Because political ideologies change. People change. Sometimes you'll find yourself in the majority, and other days you'll find yourself in the minority. Sometimes in a socioeconomic system, you're a minority, but within your own home, you represent the power base. And how do you use your power there? That the scriptures are endlessly interested with how we use power in our lives. That the book of Exodus which Jesus would have understood really well, is an entire book about the liberation of God. It's a story about power dynamics. It's a story about the reality that there will always be pharaohs in this world who oppress people. And the pharaoh is never named in the book of Exodus because we all have pharaohs that we need God to liberate us from. And so the story from the beginning of scripture all the way to the life of Jesus is one of liberation and one of liberating us from identifying with the power structures of our world. That when we identify with those power structures above and beyond the kingdom of Jesus, we too can become guilty of using that power in a negative way. And so it's no wonder that after the book of Exodus, after God has liberated the Israelites from Pharaoh, God constantly warns them, take care of the widow and the orphan and the alien in your midst, or you too will become like Pharaoh. The moment you get power, are you gonna become a new power and a new Pharaoh and lord it over their lives? And Jesus was always interested in this. How do we actually treat other people? And there's been a warning from Jesus all of the time about how we get in bed with power. And so the Edict of Milan, I know you've been waiting and wondering for this thing. In the year 313 CE, Common Era, AD, whatever you want to use there, uh, Constantine was the emperor. And for 300 years, the Roman Empire had been persecuting the Christian church. In fact, it was illegal for Christian worship. Constantine had a conversion moment in which he saw Jesus or saw a cross and he changed the laws within the Roman Empire. And now Christianity eventually became the religion of the empire. It was the first real big moment where faith in Jesus and Christianity became aligned with the state. And then it's no wonder that over the next thousand years, it was that very same church that was avoiding persecution from Rome that became one of the greatest persecutors on planet Earth. 
Because the moment sometimes that we find power, instead of allowing that power to transform us or to heal us or to recognize that what that power actually is so that we don't use it against other people, we become oppressors ourselves. And the question that we should always be asking ourselves is, regardless of if you're the majority or the minority in a political world, how do you use your power? How are you transformed by what God has given you? How do you have a greater perspective than the political ideologies that are given to us? That there's example after example after example within Christian and church history of Christian countries who use their power in negative ways. It's no wonder that in World War II, it was the German Lutheran church who supported Hitler. It was a group of people who had been deeply oppressed. They were poor. They were treated poorly by the other European countries, and they were looking for a leader who would acknowledge their pain. And it was the church who sponsored and supported Hitler because he gave them power. Be careful with the power that you're given. Just because it raises you up doesn't mean that it won't bring other people down. And in the kingdom of Jesus, everybody has access to this table. The power that Jesus powers us with, the power that Jesus becomes powerless for, does not diminish the humanity in other people. But we live in a world that if one side has power, then the humanity in another must be diminished. And so I wanna move to Matthew 26, one of my favorite stories about power in the gospel. And it says this, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs and sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. And then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's like 20,000, in case you were wondering. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The story of Jesus in his final hours before crucifixion is that his disciples wanted him to fulfill some symbol of power in their lives that would bring back power from Rome. And Jesus was showing them a different way to be human. That Jesus knows that every political power that has ever existed, when they get power, they use violence to preserve the power structures that they have. That we accumulate power as human beings all the time. And when we accumulate power relationally, vocationally, politically, then we seek to protect that power because we're worried that somebody else might take it from us. And yet this son of God, with this good news, and this kingdom comes and says, I'm the one who created everything. All of the universe I breathed into existence. And I so love you that I would become human to show you a better way. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus comes and shows us a different kind of humanity 
when in the hour that the system uses its power to destroy Jesus, Jesus tells his followers, don't draw the sword. Don't follow that way of power. And Jesus shows us in the moments where you're most hurt, you have a moment to show a different kind of power in this world. Will you be transformed by the pain that was given to you or will you transmit that pain back into the world? Will hurt people continue to hurt people, which happens politically all of the time? We have political group after political group, different election after different election, it becomes the majority power. And they use the newfound power that they have just to hurt somebody else. Or will you be transformed by your power? Will you live into the nuance of this world? Will you handle the complexity of what it means to be human? Would you be kind? Would you show generosity? Would you be filled with love and goodness and graciousness? Or do you simply want to do what the empires have always done? And in that game, there is never really winners. There is only losers and only those in power for a while. But eventually they might lose that power. There's a story that happened in 2013 called the nuclear option. Senator Harry Reid was the majority leader of the Senate at the time, and the Senate at the time found that they were being roadblocked all of the time to put in new federal judges into the courts. Because previously up to 2013, the Constitution required that 60 senators were required to approve the vote for a judicial candidate at a federal level. And at the time, Democrat senators who had the majority, because they felt that they were being roadblocked, used something that they called the nuclear option. And they dismantled what was there, and they made it a simple majority vote to allow federal judges to be appointed. Years later, Mitch McConnell, the then majority leader of the Senate, would also apply that to the Supreme Court based on what Harry Reid had done in 2013. And now we live in an era where people are so incredibly upset by Supreme Court justices and who are getting chosen. But it is simply an example of political power, that politicians use their power at different times when it's convenient for them. And years later, what if you're not in power and the same way that you use your power is used against you? And I know some people are uncomfortable even by conversations like that. Our history is filled with stories like this, filled with people who use their power, use the majority that they have when they can, and then they're upset when it works against you. And the way of Jesus is, what if we stopped using our power in that way? What if in the kingdom of Jesus, we always honor the minority voice and the majority voice? What if in the kingdom of Jesus, we're creating a new reality where everybody comes to the table? As Paul says, there's neither master nor slave, male nor female, Greek nor Jew. This is the kingdom that you're invited into. And to live in this kingdom, you have to have a high level of self-awareness. To live in this kingdom where you're transformed, you have to ask yourself deeper questions about your hurts, about the power that you have and the power that has been used against you. And you ask yourself questions about how might you use that power and how might you use that power in this moment and what are the implications of using that power years down the road? That's the hard work of being human. Would you be so self-aware that you may resort to not utilizing your power in this moment because of the implications that it may have later? These are bigger questions for us to ask as a human being. Because what I wonder in a church like New Abbey, and by the way, it's pretty clear that I'm politically progressive and I think you know who I voted for, right? Because at the end of the day, it might not be about Democrat or Republicans, but I do believe that Donald J. Trump is one of the most divisive 
and problematic leaders that our country has seen. That has nothing to do with Republicans. For me, that has everything to do with who this leader is and what he represents and how a political party will attach itself to power, even if it's the wrong person. So I'm happy to say that. It's not, this is not just some kumbaya message of whoever we vote for will be okay. I think Donald J. Trump is an unhealthy human being who is transmitting an abuse of power and not being transformed by a deeper story of God. So let's be clear on that. But also, I am aware of the fact of what happens when we become the powerful people? How will we use our power in this world? Will we have enough self-awareness to use our power in a way that brings health and healing into the world and not more damage? And then I'll end with this, because I think this is one of the most powerful things that the scriptures does. The scriptures are always willing to critique themselves. At the end of that story in Matthew 26 that I read, all of the followers of Jesus deserted him. The Bible is critiquing the very people who built the church. It's saying that sometimes people are given power and it doesn't go their way and they desert or they flee or they, it doesn't work out for them in, in, in the ways that they wanted. If we become powerful people, are we willing and open to be critiqued? Are we willing and open to be challenged by others? It starts with self-awareness and our own choices. Would we be proactive enough to use our power to be transformed in a way that changes and heals the world? And if we don't use our power in a way that's appropriate, would we be willing to be critiqued by others who may have differing opinions than us? Because we live in a world right now where we're willing to critique one side, but if we're willing to critique, are we also willing to hear the critique? This was like one of the most uncomfortable sermons that I preached in a long time in New Abbey because I know this. I know where our progressive liberal community is at. And I, if the polls are correct in any way, shape, or form, maybe the political landscape will change the United States of America. But I still care how the Church of Jesus Christ acts, what we do with it, how we use the power that we're given in the world, that we would use it to heal and transform the world and not use whatever voice we may be given to hurt or pain the world. If the election goes the other way, well then, Sissy's preaching on loving your enemies next week and we'll deal with that shit then. So, with that said, jump into your groups and answer this question. Not what power, what, what do you do with your power, but what will you do with your power? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.